Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hey, TCC. Thanks for joining us. My name is Shane. I'm one of the pastors here. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We are wrapping up our sermon series on this letter today, and I hope that our time in it has been edifying and uh, challenging. The Apostle Paul is passing the baton to Timothy to carry on with the ministry, and that becomes pretty clear in this last chapter. Paul believes that his time is running out. He believes that his part in this ministry is coming to an end. And so he's entrusting it now to Timothy and to those who will come after him. And he encourages Timothy that the Holy Spirit will help with that. And he points him back to see the work of the Spirit through the legacy of faith, to see how the faith endured and was passed on generation to generation. And now it's to us. If we are in Christ, we heard the gospel because of the work of the Spirit and the faithfulness of those who have gone before us. So what is being entrusted to Timothy here is also entrusted to us. This is our time in the legacy of faith. It is our burden, our responsibility now to hold firm to the truth of the gospel and to proclaim it individually and as a church. So it's really encouraging today in our in-person service, we're celebrating some baptisms as well as new committed disciples, people joining our church, adding people to our ranks to help guard what has been entrusted to us, to help us and for us to help them to stand firm in the truth and to proclaim it. So in chapter 3 of this letter, Paul warns Timothy about the world. He says there's going to be terrible times. People are going to be ungodly. The world is going to be unholy, and there will be suffering and hardship and persecution. So how do we stand firm in the truth against a world like that? Well, Paul points Timothy to models. He points to himself as an example. Look at my life. Here's what you can expect. Here's how I dealt with it. And then he points them to the scriptures. Hold to the scriptures because through them, they will thoroughly equip you for this task. And now Paul gives Timothy a final charge. Uh, Let's turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Demaltia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tysicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metalworker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. 
you too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Paul charges Timothy with apostolic authority. Right? This is like another commissioning. Uh, Timothy has already been commissioned, really. Paul seems to reference that in the first chapter. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hand. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. There's a sense based on Paul's encouragement, the ways that Paul encourages him, that might suggest that Timothy was a little timid. I think that can be a bit overblown. Uh, Paul, in word and in action, seems to have tremendous confidence in Timothy. He speaks highly of Timothy in his letters. He says in Philippians, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. He says in 1 Corinthians, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Paul sends Timothy off to handle difficult situations. I'm not sure that he would do that or have that level of confidence in him if Timothy was just a cowardly weakling. So I think it can be overblown. Uh, but there does seem to be a sense, either from Timothy's own insecurities or from prejudices around him, that Timothy is not a person of authority. And number one, he's young. He doesn't have the wisdom of age. He doesn't have the authority that comes with age. Paul says in 1 Timothy, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So he's young, and also he comes from an intermarriage. Luke says this about Timothy in the book of Acts. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. That's a violation of the law of Moses. In Deuteronomy it says, Do not intermarry with them, them being anyone that is not an Israelite. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. And to this day, Orthodox Jews are not permitted to marry non-Jews. And the reason for that is the same reason that Christians should not marry non-Christians. It says in places like 2 Corinthians, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? 
Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? There's good reason behind the law, and we essentially still follow it. The only difference is a Christianity is not an ethnicity. But what's more, though, is that Timothy's father is not even a Jewish convert. Luke says Timothy's mother was the believer. There's no indication that his father was a believer in Yahweh at all. Paul credits his mother as teaching him the scriptures. He's talking about the Old Testament. And Timothy was not circumcised on the eighth day like he should have been if his father were following the law of Moses. Instead, it's Paul who circumcises Timothy. Back to the book of Acts. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Paul circumcises him. So, Timothy definitely trusted Paul. But this intermarriage thing is an issue for people. It's a problem for people. There is certainly a group of people that would not be inclined to listen to Timothy. He doesn't have the same pedigree of Paul. In 1 Corinthians, when Paul sends Timothy to the church in Corinth, he says this, When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one, then, should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. No one should treat Timothy with contempt. Other translations say, don't look down on him, or let no one despise him. It seems to be a concern of Paul's that people are not going to respect him, either because of his age or because of his background. So you can understand why Timothy might have some insecurities when it comes to his own authority. And maybe that does make him a little timid. So Paul here reinforces Timothy's commissioning. He says, I charge you. If there's still any lingering doubt, Timothy, about whether or not you have authority to do this, there's no question. I charge you. And then listen uh, to the loftiness of this language. Verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Very official sounding language. In the presence of God. Now God is omnipresent. We're technically always in his presence. But we also use that kind of language at key points, don't we? Weddings would be a prime example. We say, we have come together in the presence of God to join so-and-so. We're inviting God's presence to bless what we're doing, but also to hold us accountable. The couple makes vows to one another. They make pledges in the presence of God. We are keeping that in our consciousness because God will judge the living and the dead. He'll judge if you keep your vows or not. And so, too, he'll judge if you guard the treasure or not. It's inviting God's blessing and God's accountability. He'll judge you on how faithfully you carried out the ministry that you were charged with. And here's what he's charged with. Verse 2, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Last week, we were talking about our need for the scriptures. It's God-breathed, and it will help us to hold firm in the truth. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped to preach the word in and out of season to correct and rebuke and encourage. And we're going to need sound teaching because, verse 3, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. 
Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. That's strange, isn't it? You know, we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about the good news. We're offering salvation in Christ, resurrection into a world without death or pain or sorrow, where we will finally be satisfied by being in the presence of God, where we will love him and enjoy him forever. You would think that that message would be satisfying to the ears, but the hearts and minds of the world are so dark that it's not. You know, Jesus says these words in John, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. If I'm going to come to Christ, I need to recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I don't like that part. That's not very affirming. It makes me feel bad. I'm a sinner. What, like there's something wrong with me? And people will go, oh, you're, you're right, you're right. You're, you're loved just the way you are. I need to repent and turn away from my sin? I like some of my sins. Why, why is it a sin anyway? Oh, it doesn't have to be. We'll, we'll just reinterpret Scripture. You know, I'm also not crazy about this whole hell thing. Makes God seem mean. Oh, no problem. It's gone. Love wins. And what are we left with? Well, we're left with this. A God without wrath who brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. That's a pretty good quote to summarize what we're seeing in our world. Because the gospel is just not good enough news. The gospel isn't sufficient. It doesn't leave everybody feeling validated about every single aspect of their lives. It's not inclusive enough. It's not relevant enough. We need to be tickling the ears. This is the verdict. Men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And you know this happens in, in strong ways, but also weaker ways. It doesn't have to be heretical in a strict sense to fall into this. Uh, take a look at this. This is the positive Bible. Here's the description. Turn to any page in this book you will be greeted with a biblical passage that offers hope, help, and encouragement. It is a simple concept, but one that may have a profound influence on your life. The Positive Bible is a collection of advice, instruction, inspiration, assurance, and wisdom from the Bible brought together in biblical sequence in one abbreviated volume. The Positive Bible is your inspirational guide to the most remarkable of all books, a condensed compendium of truth and knowledge that will enrich the lives of your entire family for years to come. It's not heretical, it's scripture. It's just not the totality of scripture. See, even when it comes to the Bible, we can still gravitate to what we want to hear. You know, we had a teaching team meeting uh, where we planned out all of the upcoming sermon series for the rest of this year and all of 2022 as well. And I think it's going to be great. Uh, there's only one or two stinkers in the whole thing. Uh, but I'll be honest, uh, th there were a couple of moments when we were planning on, on what to preach where we were like, ooh, got to be real careful with that topic. That's kind of dangerous. You know, people could take it the wrong way. People could misunderstand it or misapply it. We have to be real careful. Now, how we say things does matter quite a bit. 
And truth uh, does need to be coupled with grace. But there is a temptation there. That's a dicey topic. There's dangers there. There's pitfalls there. So maybe let's just not address it. See, it doesn't have to be heretical for us to gravitate to things that we want to hear. But all scripture is God-breathed. And so we need to be dedicated to all of it. To preach the word in and out of season. To correct, rebuke, and encourage. Oh, the world may turn to false teachers. To say what their itching ears want to hear. The world may turn away from the truth. But as for us, as for you, verse 5. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. That's the commissioning of Timothy. And it's on him now. Because here's what Paul says next. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I I wonder how this must have struck Timothy when he read it. There's a finality in this language that's very different from Paul's previous writings. In Corinthians, he, he wrote this, Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And as we read in Philippians last week, there's that similar sort of imagery, but a very different tense. Philippians, not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about pressing on anymore. He finished the race. He fought the good fight. He won the prize and it's waiting for him. This is an emotional letter. A father to a son saying, I'm not going to be around much longer. Watch out for this. Look out for this. Be ready. Be prepared. Make good choices. It's a heavy letter. It's emotionally charged. And he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Why a drink offering? Let's take a second here to look at the book of Numbers for a moment. Numbers chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, You might see a heading there. Uh, In my Bible, it says supplementary offerings. This section is dealing with supplementary offerings. Here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, After you enter the land I am giving you as a home, and you present to the Lord food offerings from the herd or the flock as an aroma pleasing to the Lord, whether burnt offerings or sacrifices for special vows or free will offerings or festival offerings, then the person who brings an offering shall present to the Lord a grain offering of a tenth of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with a quarter of a hen of olive oil with each lamb for the burnt offering or the sacrifice. Prepare a quarter of a hen of wine as a drink offering. 
With a ram, prepare a grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour, mixed with a third of a hen of olive oil, and a third of a hen of wine as a drink offering. Offer it as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. When you prepare a young bull as a burnt offering or sacrifice for a special vow or a fellowship offering to the Lord, bring with the bull a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with half of a hen of olive oil, and also bring half of a hen of wine as a drink offering. This will be a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Supplementary Offerings The drink offering is not the main offering. Paul's work, Paul's suffering, Paul's ministry is not the main thing. The main thing is Christ's sacrifice. It's Jesus' suffering. It's Jesus' ministry. Jesus who atones for our sin. Jesus' work that's sufficient for our needs. And everything else is just supplemental. Paul's work is supplemental. And the work of the church is supplemental to Christ's work and Christ's offering. He's just a drink offering, not the main offering. And in that Numbers passage, it also said, when you enter into that land that I'm giving you as a home. You know, libations were were not only a thing of the Hebrews, it was also a common practice of the Greeks as well as the Romans. For sea voyages, they, they would pour out their libations in the sea to grant them safe passage. And on arriving on foreign soil, they would pour out libations on the ground to grant them success. And Paul says in verse 18, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. My time for my departure has come. I've run the race. I've kept the faith. And God is going to bring me safely home. And then Paul closes with uh, personal remarks. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia and Titus to Demaltia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Now, Paul didn't always feel this way. This Mark, this is John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark. And we have this account in Acts. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. You know, as much as Paul talks about grace and was inspired by God to write that, that we're we're saved by grace, in his personal life, I, I don't think that was his bent. You know, he was a zealous Pharisee persecuting the church, and his writing style is often brash and in your face. And he gets into this huge fight about Mark. I, I don't think grace was his personal bent, but I think you see the work of the Spirit in his life. Then that now he says, Bring Mark. He's useful to my ministry. There's been reconciliation there. You know, Paul still doesn't like being deserted, right? He complains about that in this very letter. Uh, but, but listen to verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. I think Paul has changed some. 
Uh, these are giants of the faith, but, but they're in need of a Savior too. They need to be transformed by the power of the Spirit, just like we do. And I think you see signs of that here, that as Paul faithfully ran the race, the Holy Spirit was at work to make him more like Christ. And then Paul ends with these greetings, verse 19. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. I think it's easy in our reading to skim over those sections, those lists of people with unpronounceable names. But all scripture is God-breathed. And what I want us to see here is that Paul doesn't do this alone. And neither will Timothy, and neither do we. If we're going to finish the race if we're going to fight the good fight, if we're going to keep the faith, we're going to need help. We stand firm in the truth. We guard what has been entrusted to us, but we don't do it alone. And that is an encouraging reminder for Timothy. As, as Paul's time for departure has come, Timothy is not alone. And that's an encouraging thought for us too, as we welcome in new committed disciples today, people joining our ranks, joining in our supplemental work people that we will help and that will help us to run our race, people who will join with us in suffering, who will preach the word to us in and out of season, who will do the work of evangelists, who will correct and rebuke and encourage us so that we may faithfully guard what has been entrusted to us, so that we may all say in the end, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.